Welcome to today's episode of The Ins and Outs with myself, Jojo Barr, and the very lovely Pollyanna Wilkinson. On today's show, we're going to be talking about how termites make pizza ovens, a toilet masterclass, don't throw balls in greenhouses, Polly's smelly blossom trees, and probably the best tip ever about bay trees. Sexy, how are you? I'm very well. Welcome back to the country. How was your trip? It was absolutely magic. It was truly pinch me magical, I have to say. I know we were there for work, but it was something pretty special. Um, I've never been on a safari before and our very lovely clients uh, allowed us to go on as many as we could if we'd got the work done. So we did a early morning 5am drive we did a, a walk actually in the bush, which is pretty amazing. That was more to look at like tracks and poo and um, sure. learn about plants and trees. Um, and then we did a boat drive as well, where we got to see baby elephants wallowing around in the mud and hippos. And it was so special, Paul. Honestly, it was just brilliant. And it's such that the the lodge is called Machenji, which is the, the Machenji tree. Uh, it's named after. It's a great word. And it's a beautiful word, isn't it? Machenji. Uh, and uh, it was just the most magical place. It feels like you're up in the in the treetops, and the lodge is already beautiful, but it was built about twenty five, twenty seven years ago. So a bit and dated. It's dated, so it just needs it just needs some loving. Um, mm. And we've been tasked the amazing, um, given the amazing task of doing so, which is lovely. And I have to give a shout out as well to our clients because the reason this job came about is because we designed a pub for them in um, in Hampshire called The Mutton, The Mutton at Hazley Heath. So if anyone is in the area, please go and see the work that we've done, but also go and savour the food because it is absolutely delicious. And they're just lovely people. So what was the most magical moment for you? It would have been on the early morning drive, the 5am, which is the only thing that's going to get me out of bed at 5am. Um, and sort of this beautiful time of day, uh, and we came across a pack of, uh, sorry, not a pack, a pride of lions. And that was honestly just jaw-droppingly amazing. Very, very special. And it was three female lions and two cubs. And the cubs were both girls, but no dad to be seen. No, what's the big guy from Lion King called? What's the Simba? No. Simba's the I was about one. to say Aslan. That's a whole different thing. No. <laughs> the big guy. The big guy with a mane. Sure. Um, the male was nowhere to be seen. And as we were, so we spent probably about 45 minutes just hanging out with these lionesses. And then we started to drive off and we, they all got up and walked towards the bushes. So we sort of slightly followed them. And sure enough, there he was in the bush. And he sort of came out This and you heard this, this amazing noise just rumbling from the bush. And out he came and it was a fleeting like five seconds, but it was just so special. So that was that was amazing. The, the baboons, I mean, you could sit and watch baboons all day, just, you know, picking nits from each other's hair and climbing up the trees and chasing each other. That was brilliant. Just so, the, a lot of magical moments. But I mean, obviously, we were there for work. So Yeah, um, sure. But we did do, I'll tell you what we did do, which is really fun, that when we did this walk, I was saying that we got up really early to do, mm. our guide, this brilliant guy, KB, was telling us that um, all the 
things that they used to do with boys when they were growing up, so different to what our kids do. They would pick up, they would like get grasshoppers and tie strings to the back of their legs and pop them in matchboxes and see how far they could jump and make competitions like that and just using using nature as their playground, you know. Mm. And they would t- they would take impala poo. Impala is that lo- lovely little deer that they call the McDonald's deer because it has on its bottom it's got this black M on its bum. Oh yeah, and it's it's they're found all around the world and they're fast food, so that's why they're called McDonald's. <laughs> Um, but it's got these tiny little pellets, these tiny little dried pellets of poo. And we were sort of picking up all the poo and he, he put one in his mouth and he just spat it. Like, you know, and he said, we used to do this to each other. So they used to just like spit poos at each other. I mean, it's, it was just, yeah, it was very funny. Lots of, lots of funny little stories like that, but like, all about termite mountains. I tell you what, if you want to really go and knock your socks off, go and Google facts about termite mountains. It is Ooh. incredible. That's how pizza ovens were first discovered. That's how they were invented, because of termite mountains. Because a termite mountain, for anyone that knows, is built by these tiny, teeny little termites, and inside the termite mound is the queen, a bit like a honeybee. And then coming out from this, sort of up this termite mountain, which can be sort of like three, four metres tall, are all these tunnels, it's like mm. this sort of maze of tunnels, and all to protect the queen. And the temperature within a termite mountain never changes. It's about 32 degrees, and it never changes always the same consistent temperature incredible so that's also how they came about starting out the first thoughts towards air conditioning units i mean like air conditioning units from termite mountains because all these like tunnels and then pizza ovens because people in the bush the bush people Mm. Mm. would literally cut a hole out the side of the termite mountain because it's so solid it's like concrete right and they would literally cook their food inside the termite mountain and obviously it would steam the food because it has all these tunnels yes Women would eat it. If women eat termite mountains, the bush people, because it's full of iron. Sure. It's amazing. I mean, I could go on. Have I, have I covered enough? <laughs> Absolutely riveting. This entire I mean, episode is going to be about my experience in the bush in Botswana. I mean, your half term is, sounds uh, substantially more interesting than mine. Go on. Tell me about your half term, Paul. How was it? What did well, you get up I, to? I went to a trampoline park. I obviously yep. did not bounce because of the leg. Um, mm, oh, my, yes. My small had a birthday party, so we went to a trampoline park. So, you know, it's not dissimilar to your... Sounds very uh, similar. To your week, yeah. Mm, yeah, very they, similar. It's just as glamorous. Yeah. How's the small? How's your little one? They're, they're excellent. So, yeah, well, half term. So it's always the juggle, isn't it, of um, trying to still work. Because I don't feel it's been that long since Christmas. I can't be taking another week off. So um, juggling camps and nice days with them and work. So... Substantially less eventful than yours, my friend, but lovely nonetheless. Uh, now, Paul, I've got a question for you. Uh, it was Valentine's Day last week because obviously we had covered our little Valentine's Day special. Um, did you receive anything nice from Mr. Big? I got some very nice flowers, actually. Did you? Were they roses? No, not a rose in sight. Do you want to know what flowers Brad got me? Yes, tell me. Show me. You ready? Show me. Oh, my God. <laughs> They're red roses. <laughs> Someone didn't listen to the podcast, did they? Listen, I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth because actually they are... Those are beautiful. They are the most beautiful roses I've ever seen. and I I think I, they're very romantic. Those those aren't, that's not a service station rose, is it? That's a, Definitely that's not a, a service station rose, but they are absolutely... I, I felt really bitchy for being so mean because I should. I'm just to even receive flowers. I'm very lucky. So but anyway, I just thought that was quite amusing. 
That so, tickled me, yeah. Yes. He usually does listen to the podcast, though. I'd say he does. Oh. He's a listener. He'll come, he'll report back on what he what he thinks, which is so nice. Is he an innie or an outie? He's a, he's a both. He's, no, he has he's to a, choose. You can't be both. Babe? No. Are you an innie or an outie? Innie. Innie. <gasps> As in, as in, he likes to be inside. Sure. <laughs> oh my gosh, Ginger, I have to tell you something lovely. Tell me something lovely. I had the best day on Saturday. I went to um, this amazing exhibition at the Hayward Gallery in London. Right. I think it's called Forms Come Alive. I hope that's its name. Um, sculpture exhibition. So inspiring. Amazing. Anyway. And then I got on the tube home. And someone tapped me on the shoulder. I was listening to some music, minding my own business. And someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, I absolutely love the podcast. Oh, you were And hopped girls. off the tube. Oh. And I thought, oh. And that, that made my day. I thought, that's lovely. Because you never really know, do you? No, so, that is so nice. Oh, yeah. I love that. I know. I thought oh. that was so nice. So if that's you're listening, so thank you. That, that was, I was giddy for the day. Oh, good. That's so nice. Love that. Mm. We love that. Now, Jojo, I know you've been a bit busy, mm. globetrotting. Yes. Have you, have you any updates for us on the house and or garden? Yeah, in very big house news. Oh, I'm yeah? looking for a new toilet. <gasps> Stop it. Tell me more. Our downstairs toilet is, it's, I'm going to say it's hazardous. It's a hazard. When you sit on it, the, the loose seat like clamps do, down oh, on do you. Do you go like, skidding around? Oh, it oh. snaps down on your back when you sit down. It's Ooh. not the most pleasant experience. Um, so I'm looking for a new toilet. And I'm quite fussy when it comes to toilets. Well, talk, toilets talk me through toilets. this. So what's, you know, what, does, what does one look for in a good toilet? And can I, I'm going to go, can I call it a loo? I hate the word toilet. You can call it what you like, my darling. You can call it a bog. No, I'm not. No. Crapper? It's, no. <laughs> the loo. Loo, lavatory. My favourite toilet is the Thomas Crapper, who Thomas Crapper is is a Thomas... You know, you've heard of Thomas Crapper, haven't you? I have. Quite a lot of my clients have them. Yes. Yes. They're beautiful toilets um, invented by a said Thomas Crapper. And they actually say Thomas Crapper on the back in quite big writing. Do you find that one of the downsides of your job, certainly one of mine, is the amount of time I... Well, not amount of time. That you spend on the, the toilet? No. <laughs> No, the unfortunate amount of times I have had to use a portaloo. Yeah, do you know, it's really funny you say this. I am so unfussy when it comes to toilets. Like I genuinely, if I just need to do my business, I will go anywhere. I ain't, I'm not a snob about toilets. I'll just, You've not been into a portaloo at the end of a day where a lot of men have, have used it then, my friend. Trust well, me, I've been on many a site portaloo, disgusting portaloos. But if you've just got to get the job done, you've got to get the job done. In and out. You're not in there to sort of, you know, do your makeup. Just go and get the job done. Put your pants up and get out. <laughs> Whereas I've got team members that will hold it in for eight, a good eight hours. They just won't go to the toilet. I will try and avoid it. I hate it. It's just a, it is one of the downsides of the job. It is. Just carry some hand sanitizer with you at all, all times. <laughs> so you're in the market for an, a new loo. Talk, so what's, what do we look for? What do we look for when choosing a loo? It's got to be good quality. You wouldn't believe it, but the look, I think Thomas Crapper's are around about a thousand pounds a toilet. I know they are. Cost per use, though. Cost per use. You're going to get your you're going to get your <laughs> jobs worth. I'm not going to go in any other toilets if I get one. And then the loo seat themselves. If you want a mm. decent loo seat, mm. they can be about two three hundred quid. 
What's your preference in material for a loose seat? Wood. I like wood. There's soft clothes loose seats and then there's not soft clothes loose seats. And there you've got to be careful with the non-soft clothes. My kids are at an age now where we don't need soft clothes. They slam on your hands. What about the, uh, oh, the bit, bef- the cistern? Is that the thing? The tank the that holds the water? Yep. Do you have a feeling, like, do you like a big cistern? Or do you like a narrow <laughs> cistern? So you're, so but what you're talking about is where the flush system sits is in the cistern. And the yeah. cistern, you can either have an exposed cistern, which is like an old-fashioned toilet. Gotcha. Or you can have a concealed cistern where the cistern actually goes in the wall, where you have a wall-hung toilet or a back-to-wall toilet. And that essentially means that the cistern is concealed behind the wall the only thing is about that is that it can lead to maintenance issues if you don't well, yeah. use the right flush plate so you've only got a small flush plate that you've got to mm. get your hand into to fiddle with the with the system behind fix it um it very much depends on the size of the bathroom on the style of the bathroom i like back to wall toilets i think they Do look you? i like you know standard traditional exposed system toilets but equally i like concealing toilets and i like wall hung loos do you know what I like them all it's about the style of the loo I just I like I don't like modern toilets although I don't like like the ones that sort of float no but I do like the ones that blow dry your bum that's quite good (gasps) the The Japanese ones sort of might as well curl your pubic hair you know they just those are incredible aren't they aren't they just something else they are I mean if you go to some very fancy hotels in London they have them and you could spend an hour in there just playing with them yeah there's nothing nice than having your bum blow (laughs) dry I mean, they're probably nicer things, but that's a nice experience. <laughs> so you do business, water squirts up your bum, which is, again, quite... Well, it squirts everywhere. It's quite invigorating. It's nice. <laughs> and then you just get a little... Anyway, Paul, tell me, what is going on in your renovation? Because it's probably far more exciting than mine. Really excitingly, I had a meeting with the greenhouse company that I'm going to be working with about a greenhouse. And I'm not talking... A bog standard greenhouse. I'm talking a greenhouse. Are you talking about one of those beautiful? It's got a little doorway in the middle. Oh, yes, stop I am. it with brick base. Yes, you're doing one of those. I am, but I need planning permission. So the really annoying thing about many things that people don't know about structures in the garden is, depending on the height, you will need planning permission. So I gotta Ooh. hope I get that first. But. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to sit in it and grow things and drink gin. How lovely. I did not Mm. know that you needed planning permission for a greenhouse. Well, only if it's over two and a half metres, which most of the more ornamental ones are. For anyone that doesn't understand what this greenhouse is that we're talking about, I think it's basically, pardon my right in thinking, right in saying it's it's sort of the Rolls Royce of greenhouses. And it's the big, it's the tall apex one. And it's all, it's got a brick base, as you say, it's got a door Mm -hmm. sort of in the middle. And it, it's probably, it's just, they're so beautiful. They always look... Someone up the road, actually, that's got one of my neighbours that's got one who we always walk past, like ogle at it when I walk past. Um, but what are you going to grow in there, Paul? What's, what's, your, what's your plan for the greenhouse? Well, the, the priority with this, and it's actually quite common with clients, is it's, this greenhouse is form and function. So obviously I could have gone for a much more inexpensive one, which is just, you know, glass and a, I don't know, steel frame. And, and that could just be just for sort of growing things and that's it. And nothing wrong with that. And I would definitely put that in a sort of more utility space. But this is, my garden isn't enormous. It's going to be in full view. The greenhouse essentially is going to be a sort of form of sculpture in its own right. So I'm going very traditional with the brick base. I'll be going with either a dark bronze or a black frame because obviously the studio is black. So it needs to all feel like it works together. And inside I'm going to have, round the edges will be beautiful platforms 
that you grow your seeds on. And then you can have an area. What I love about um, greenhouses is you don't have to have a solid base all the way along. You can have, I want to have a really lovely red brick sort of herringbone or something, but then you can leave a gap so that you can grow directly into the ground. So that's really nice, for example, if you want to grow tomatoes, which is what I will be growing um, in a portion of the greenhouse, that you can plant them directly into the ground as opposed to having them in a grow bag or a pot. Um, so you can do that. I really want it to be big enough to fit in at least one little sort of cozy armchair because not only do I want to grow in the greenhouse I also want to spend time in it I just think there's something really lovely about sort of going down there with a cup of tea in the morning and sort of sitting amongst the really fragrant geranium leaves and I mean it's my dream this is probably the thing I've always wanted in my life and there's a part of me going I should probably wait because the children are going to ruin it with footballs but I shall plant a robust hedge around it and press on. Yeah, that's a very good point. Footballs, greenhouses don't get on, do they? No. So I, I'm I'm going to try and partition the garden such that a football is unlikely to reach the greenhouse, she says optimistically. It's exciting though, because this is something as a gardener I have wanted ever since I rented my first flat in London and had a little balcony. The greenhouse has been the holy grail of one day I will have a garden that I can fit a greenhouse in. So this is a big moment in my gardening life oh well you deserve it pal thank you can I ask Paul that you give us a sort of full journey of the whole I want to see it I want to see the start to finish of this thing going up should like a a sort of all the little plants the time lapse of all the things going on inside Polly life life in Polly's greenhouse oh even wider than that I'm glad you've said it because this afternoon, in fact, I have our dear friend Cal coming over. I am going to be filming a series teaching everyone how to design their garden by showing them how I'm designing mine. Oh. So I'm going to document the entire design, the entire build, greenhouse, paving, planting, everything. So, yes, you will have a full journey through it. Amazing. Thanks, yeah. Paul. Good be fun. stuff. Should we jump into some questions? Oh, let's, because there's some really juicy ones. First one, we're going to talk flooring. And actually, there's been quite a few people asking a very similar question, Jojo. But this is uh, this particular one is from Leah. And any question for Jojo? Downstairs, wooden flooring. Should I go planks, chevron or herringbone? Is herringbone on the way out? And quite a few people have said they're worried about using herringbone in, in case it dates or they, it's, it's on the way out, as they say. Okay, again, one thing I'll always say is don't worry too much about something dating that is has, has already been around for a very long time. So mm. it's the style of the herringbone um, parquet that is, it depends on what you use. It also depends on the area that you're using it. So I don't, and the size. So for instance, if it's a small hallway, and, and your rooms aren't particularly big. Herringbone does appear a lot busier. Yeah, does it feel a bit fussy? Have, it can feel a bit fussy. Mm. So we tend to say if you've got the space, if if you might want to do it in, say, a living room, don't be afraid to have a herringbone in a living room and then you can actually switch to straight boards if you use the right threshold detail between the doors in your, say, hallway and into your kitchen. So you can you can break up with flora. I think people think you have to have it everywhere. But it will make a room appear a bit smaller because it's busier. Mm. So that's a consideration. Um So maybe just go for planks if you're if you're in a sort of hallway or something like that, better just to go with something large slightly larger format? I personally would. 
I personally would. And then I would save the herringbone for your sort of more formal room. Um, again, it depends. I, I do like it. I would always, personally, I always tend to go for a straight board over a herringbone. Mm. If it's a really, really big, lovely big room, you've got a great big drawing room or dining room, uh, then you can use herringbone. But I, I wouldn't put it down everywhere personally. Okay. That's a good tip. I do love a herringbone. I love it outdoors as well, although I, I'm getting the same question quite frequently about whether there's a feeling that a lot of people have it now. And there's that sort of movement towards, oh, everyone's got that, so what can I have that's different? And it's, um, I do empathise with that. People do crave for different things, don't they? Um, yeah. We use herringbone more so, actually, funny enough, on tiles than we do wood floor, unless a client specifically requests it. So one of our projects recently, we actually did herringbone in a master bedroom because they really loved it. But then we did straight boards everywhere else. Um, we used terracotta herringbone. Um, we used marble herringbone on floors and oh, even lovely. walls. So we, we, we do break it up. And I don't, I don't think it's a style that is particularly ever going to date because, again, it, it depends. It, it's the how you do it or the material that you use yes. that will date, not the style of herringbone that will date. We're lucky with outdoors in that often we will take the pattern that comes off the house as the inspiration for the floor. So sometimes with arts and crafts houses, they have herringbone on the walls and then it's a no-brainer that you would translate that onto the floor. Um, but other times, basket weave also. But just like you, Jojo, small format is the key. Yeah, I mean, um, you, you have parquet in your house, don't you? What's the difference between herringbone and parquet? Or is parquet the material? So parquet has a much more dramatic appearance because of the pieces that are almost essentially the pattern that it's in are much smaller and slimmer than a herringbone, which is slightly more contemporary. Hmm. Parquet is a mid-century style, so it is quite restrictive in its style, which you'll see in your house. Do you see it feels quite mid-century? And a lot of people will have an original... Yeah, a lot of people have an original mid-century parquet that's either a sort of very dark... So a lot of people sort of strip it back and they stain it. And you can try and stain it, but it... it, because of the nature of how small the pieces are, it does tend to hold on to a lot of the varnish. You have got to sand it back quite considerably. And obviously, don't forget with any wood floor, you're limited to how many times you can sand it back to treat it. So mm. you might only get a few. You might only get maybe three sands out of it. So you don't know how many times before you inherit a house that that parquet has been stripped back to varnish. And yeah. if you're finding that it's not taking to the new varnish very well, it's probably because it's on its very last, it's on its last legs. I see. Which is where you sort of get parquet that can look quite patchy, where people have tried to strip it back and varnish yeah. it, but it holds on to the varnish in the in the in the grout, you know, in the um, in the joins. Yeah, just it can end up looking a little bit dog stinery. And I'm looking which, at mine now. They've clearly had a large rug over a portion of this, and so which I removed, and so I've got two tone. Oh, lovely. Mm. Well, also, so any wood floor um, tends to be sort of oiled or waxed and or indeed varnished so back in the day they'd use quite much more of a sort of heavy varnish and it would almost be slightly more glossy so you look at old parquet floors they tend to have a slightly more gloss feel to them yes and that's because of the, how much we've we've come on a huge amount with wood floors and the, and the materials that are used to, to color them and varnish them and not you know oil them stain them get the colors that we want to achieve so it's much more limiting back in the day. And the varnishes that were used over time, oak will always turn orange, by the way, peeps, whether you like it or not. So a lot of old houses you walk into and everything in the house is orange. 
the person that first put that wood into the house, it wasn't originally orange, but over the course of time, naturally the oak will start to turn sort of mm. yellow or an orange and indeed the varnish. So it will go sort of more and more orange. So you can sand it back and you can kind of retreat it, but you're going to tend to need to put something on it that's going to counteract the orange, which will be something like a sort of Osmo white, a white tint so that the orange can't bleed up. Oh, interesting. Well, I'm just going to keep it on floors for a little bit longer, if that's okay. So I've got, I've got apparently a stupid question. It's not at all. From the Greys. They want wood flooring upstairs and down. But how do they connect the two on the stairs? She's worried about having a sloppy, um, sloppy? I think she means slippy. She's worried about having a slippy hard stairs with a toddler and she herself is quite clumsy. So she's thinking a runner and painted treads, but she's confused on how they would connect to the wood flooring upstairs. Love you both. I love this question. Okay, so if you've got your wood floor downstairs and you want your wood floor upstairs, you can obviously have a plain timber staircase with lovely Mm -hmm. wooden nosings to match ground floor and first floor. The nosings, which the nosing is the the edge of the step, which is that lovely bull nose piece that sort of attaches to the end of the step. Mm. There's there's absolutely no harm in having timber treads. The treads, the bit you put your foot on. So you've got your... I'm just going to take you through it. You've got, you'll know this, Paul, but for anyone that doesn't, the tread is the bit you put your foot on. The nosing is the bit that sort of makes up the end, that little bullnose piece. And then mm-hmm. the riser is the, the bit that goes up underneath the nosing. So you've got your tread, your riser and your nosing. Do you enjoy mixing up your riser or would you have your tread and the riser as the same thing? No, I tend to always say, and I'll tell you why, because if the, if the tread, the bit you put your foot on, is timber... And then mm. the riser, which is the bit that is sort of where your toe would hit if you stubbed your toe, mm-hmm. uh, that meets the underside of the nosing. If that was just painted, think about over time, if you're running up and down the stairs and you're hoovering, that can get quite scuffed. Yes. So that can get quite dirty. So I tend to say wooden timber riser, wooden uh, tread. Okay. Um, now, again, wooden, wood is not slippery unless you're running around with a pair of socks on. Mm. So... We, we've done, I mean, multiple houses with timber treads and they're absolutely fine. I wouldn't worry about kids sort of slipping down the stairs unless they're wearing socks. So yeah, She's worried about her to- the toddler and herself. Worried about toddlers. So, yeah, you, sh- you shouldn't need to worry about that. But if you are worried about it, there's absolutely, we, we do it all the time. You can totally have a timber flooring on the ground floor, timber flooring on the first floor and then have painted treads with a runner. We Lovely. do it all the time. Doesn't look weird. Doesn't look odd. Equally... You can put a runner on a nice timber tread, on a timber staircase. So you can okay, do either. So you can have it painted. That would still you be a timber it. though, wouldn't it? Was, it? it? Don't, don't well, worry you about said that painted that's... with a runner. Yeah. But that would be paint painted it. timber with a runner or plain timber with a runner. Yeah, you can do either. What's your tips on picking a runner? Make sure that it's hard wearing because mm. on, the, on the nosing where it wraps around the front of the stair, around the front of your tread, that's obviously going to get a lot of you know, wear and tear. So you've just yeah. got to make sure that you go with something that's that's not going to get dirty. So don't go with anything like a sort of off-white or absolutely filthy mm. um, and that's not slippery. So you've just got to look at hard-wearing, hard-wearing materials. I like a sizal wool mix on a staircase. So a lovely loop with a sizal because it's hard-wearing, but hides a few more sins, I think, yeah. on staircases. Yeah, and it's less slippy. All right, Paul, my love. Uh, I've got an outy question for you here. Hi, ladies. Mm. Love the podcast. Historically, I'm a total innie. Thank you. But have a newfound love for all things outy. Fueled totally 
by the podcast. Oh, love that. Yes. I have a north-facing front garden that we've just landscaped after creating a new driveway. And I'd like to plant a mid-sized blossom tree to take centre stage and also slightly obscure the view of the front door from the road. I'm hoping, Polly, could you suggest one that could take well in a clay-based soil if that makes a difference. Thank you so much. Yeah, there's quite a few questions about blossoming trees and now's the time to think about that because um, blossom is just around the corner. So clay-based soil, when people say what's going to be happy in clay-based soil, my answer is, well, I mean, whatever you plant in clay-based soil, you need to improve that soil. So I know that's not what you're asking, but first of all, I'd be saying whatever you plant, you need to be putting organic matter in. If you've got clay soil, I'd also be adding some kind of grit as well just to open that up regardless so even if I'm telling you things which are happy in clay-based soils I'm actually making notes here by the way because I I'd love a blossom tree in the garden I'm going to first of all say the blossom tree I would not choose and that is a magnolia and that's oh. I know that's going to upset lots of people okay but come and tell us why so the thing with magnolias is I absolutely love them if you have the space to have many other trees as well but a magnolia on its own I don't think works hard enough in a smaller space to earn its keep. So yes, it looks spectacular for what, two weeks of the year. And the rest of the year, I would argue it's a bit meh. Is it only flower for two weeks of the year? I mean, if you're lucky. Yeah. Really? I mean, and this is really interesting because we get this one a lot. Polly, can you specify a blossom tree that blossoms for two months? And it's like, no, because that doesn't exist. That's that's not how blossom works. Oh, I did not know that. That's not how blossom works. You know, I mean... Some, if you're really lucky, will hang on for three, four weeks. But you don't get something which blossoms for th- like three months, for example. That's that's it doesn't exist. When do blossom? When does it come out? The flower? Well, it really varies. If you look outside right now, there are certain uh, cherries, very, very early blossoming cherries that are blossoming now, which I must admit I'm not a massive fan of because I think they look a bit weird when it's sort of very wintry and then you've got a blossoming tree. Other people love it. But it's not for me. Um, and you get one's uh, autumn flowering. I think it works well. in London, doesn't it? You know, when you walk down some streets in London, because they're not, because there isn't a sort of complete array of loads of other tree life around, or brown, sort of because everything out there is still quite brown. It sort of works in London, like a tree-lined street with blossom. It's actually sort of cheers. Oh yeah, up, I mean, I, absolutely. Blossom is one of my favourite things ever, and I highly encourage everyone to stop asking about evergreen trees and start looking at deciduous because that's when you're going to get your really spectacular blossom. But to answer the question, my I wouldn't go for a magnolia unless you have a big space and then go for it and have loads of other trees. And obviously, caveat that with the ones that you see in London, where it's this beautiful gnarled old tree and this spectacular magnolia. Yes, fine. I would never remove them. But I just think you can we can pick something which will work harder for you. So in which case, my favourite for blossom is a tie, but number one would be crab apples. So Malus Everest is a very, very popular white blossoming crab apple. Or you could go for Malus Rudolph if you wanted a, more of a crimson blossom. Those both of them are absolutely stunning. And obviously the lovely thing with crab apples is that you get the really beautiful little fruit in the summer as well. Um, alternatively, you can't go wrong with a cherry. There's a reason that so many people go to Japan in, in spring to go and see the cherry blossom. So then I would go with a snowy white prunus shirate, which is the Mount Fuji cherry. Um, that is amazing because it's got a sort of a semi-double fragrant flower and they sort of they sort of weep down and the pollinators love them they come out in early April I mean just an absolute stunner that's a stop you in the tracks cherry blossom 
Um, the other alternative, which I think is a very well-behaved blossom tree that I like to use sort of down an avenue, beautiful white blossom in spring and a great autumn colour, and that's called Pyrus Chanticleer. That is an ornamental pear. It's beautiful and it's quite um, shaped a bit like a candle. So very well behaved in that regard. Doesn't get too wide. But it smells like semen. Delicious. I know. So, I mean, some clients don't notice. I notice. Uh, so, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it too near the house. And <laughs> whilst we're talking about trees that smell like semen, there's another tree I'd watch out for, completely separate to our blossom conversation. Sweet chestnut also smells like semen. So... You know, if you go to a national park at the wrong time of the year, you know, like a national trust and you're yeah. hit in the face with the with the scent of semen, that'll be a sweet chestnut. I know it's it's so distinct. <laughs> it, it just captures you. Just ca- it just captures you in your tracks. Oh, Is someone uh... <laughs> someone having a by the bush? Is there a sh- is there a shrub that smells like it as well or a oh, ivy? Certain ivies do in mm. sort of late summer. That can that can really knock your socks off too. But it really catches you. Wah, yes. So, uh, but if it was up to me, I like ornamental pear, crab apples, and cherries. Oh, you've made me want to rush out and get a pl- blossom tree now. I really well, do. Well, I'd do it really quickly if you were going to, because it's going to be in blossom very soon, and they will not appreciate being planted whilst in blossom. Don't do oh, that. Oh, right. Mm. Okay, Paul, I've got a quick one here for you from M. Tolbert. Uh, she's asking if bay trees either side of a front door are a bit old hat. Good question. I love this question. So I'm I'm really picky about this. I like if if it's a really hefty bay tree in a really hefty, beautiful pot. No, I don't think they're old hat. I think what is is when it's a puny old, you know, this little twiggy thing with this sad little head the size of a basketball sat in some sort of fairly sad pot i just hate it i'd rather you had nothing do you have a do you have a preference on the shape do you do you like the balls or do you prefer the the conical or the sort of cone shape no i don't like topiarized shapes either side of the front door in terms of like i wouldn't want a spiral for example no or a swan no i i like so elephant. my preference either side of a front door is to have a really lovely curved quite tall pot preferably about waist high because i like that sense of entrance i don't want you having a pot down by your knees because your eye is going to go straight down to a pot at the floor so waist high pot with a beautiful single dome of something whether it's a u ball a portuguese laurel ball pittosporum but i just like a nice neat boom here it is chunk chunk either side of the front door or I don't mind if you check go out for my something. balls. Check out my big balls Look either side of the front door. Green balls. I just everyone. think it's very sort of like here it is, impactful, gutsy design intent. That isn't you know you have done that on purpose. So I do actually love a, a bay tree either side of the door if it's big. I just can't stand anything puny. So if you're going to go unless hefty, you've got a small, unless you've got a, what have you got a small front door with not a lot of room on either side? Then have really beautiful narrow pots. They can still be of quite a height, you know, just high enough, as high as you can without them obviously toppling over, and still have the dome. I think that's very very chic too. But if it's really narrow, do, I mean, my first question was, do you need one either side of the door? You could just have one lovelier one on one side. It's it's about scale. This puniness by a front door is not what we're trying to. To, to bring in so my answer is no I don't think it's old hat as long as they're big I think what can look a bit naff is is small ones that never really get anywhere and also tip with your bays um the the stem will never get taller so if you buy one which is a tiddler 
short, like a half standard or a quarter standard, that's never going to turn into a full standard. By that, that's such a great tip. I would never have known that. And so many people make this mistake of buying this sort of knee-high bay tree thinking eventually it will yeah. get tall. It's, it's, the head will get bigger, but it's always going to be stubby. So you I need a full standard if you want it to be tall. Half standard if you want something that's going to sort of stay half the size. Quarter wow. standard. It's always going to be a little tiddler. Learn something new every day on this podcast. There you go. Right. Should we jump into what's in and what's out this week? Yeah, I've got such a good in for you. I've got such a oh, good go in. On. I've it's a television show. I feel like I tell you I've watched a lot of television. One day. I have watched it in a weekend. It it's was amazing. Actually, it is incredible. I mean, you know, I the book is its sensation as it is. Yeah. And uh, I highly recommend you read it if you haven't read One Day. But this TV show is just exquisite. The music in it just takes you straight back to your youth because it's all music of the nineties and early two thousands. Might have stuck that on tonight, actually. Amazing. One day. Okay, and it's directed so... by my friend, so also he's marvellous. Oh, good. What's your friend's name? Give His name is Luke out. Snellen. He's kind of a big deal. Hi, Luke. You big deal, Hi, Luke. Luke. <laughs> okay. Um, now, if that's in, what is out? I have a few thoughts for what's out. The main one being, much like you, in fact, I, I like to wear a really nice long black trouser. You know, like quite wide leg. I don't like the whole situation of the wet hems at the moment. Oh, I feel you. My hem keeps dropping down because that keeps happening. Do you remember when we were teenagers and it was very fashionable to wear like really wide leg jeans and they would just it sort just of soak tatty, in the rain? Like tatty yeah. at the bottoms. Yes. With a pair of Ugg boots. Oh, yeah, God. those days. That's what I'm struggling with at the moment. That brings us to the end of this episode of the ins and outs. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, share with all and sundry. And come and say hello if you see us on the tube and you like the podcast. Or just come and give us like a high five. Just yeah. Can you actually, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to come and just go, I love the podcast. Yes. It, does, it is so nice. Because also we don't, I mean, we, we, wanna, we want more. Give us more questions, more questions. Uh, and just, yeah, bring it, bring it, bring, bring it. Ah, uh, we love you. And I love you. you your I love you. Sauce. You're a bag of sauce. Toodling, you lovely lot. You lovely lennies and outies, you. Snogs and kisses. Goodbye. Oh, snogs and kisses. Mm. And semen trees. See. <laughs>